Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 202, Practices. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi there. Welcome back to Changeable. So this episode is really not a big deal, but I have a feeling it might seem kind of shocking to some of you because I'm going to talk about a number of little practices that I experiment with. Some of them I find myself doing really regularly. Um, Others not so much, but there are things you can do. And and of course, we do things, right? Of course, there are things we do, but but you know, there's a big a big focus in in how I share anyway around seeing and away from practices. And the reason for that is because I think it's incredibly easy when we're identified with thought to hyper focus on the action. And then a mind comes in and expects that a bunch of stuff is going to come from just simply doing this action. And it never, ever works that way. And I think it's a huge recipe for not only a lot of disappointment, but it keeps us really identified with thought and what we're doing and what the practice is, right? As in, there's so much misunderstanding in that, as if there is some magic bullet that's going to make us feel better, as if we're supposed to feel better, as if this is magical and and you need to hear it from some teacher, you couldn't have seen this on your own. So just so much in that. Innocently, innocently, a mind will grab onto a practice because of course that's what a mind cares about. It just wants a formula. It just wants to do something. So a mind will grab onto a practice and completely miss everything else. It'll, it'll completely miss the point. And what is the point? I don't even know what the point is. I mean, we naturally, again, if you just look at human beings, we, we do a lot. We don't have to make all that doing happen, but a lot of action happens. A lot of good ideas appear and are acted upon. A lot of little practices happen. When you feel discomfort, there's a lot that starts going on. You either, maybe, if you're doing some of these practices, you either, like I do, kind of notice that discomfort and maybe welcome it, maybe just swim in the energy of it a little bit, or a mind goes to work pushing it away and trying to resist it, or we jump up and kind of move around. I think that happens a lot. You go get a drink of water, you grab your phone, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen that we aren't even thinking about, we're not even aware of a lot of the times, that we could call practices. But when someone says, well, what do I do when I feel discomfort? We can't give a practice for that because there isn't one. So I hope that makes sense. I mean, just because practices are practiced, things are done, doesn't mean that it makes sense to ever start there and that they aren't the point and they aren't the focus. And I guess for me personally, I've just seen, I just see how eager and hungry a mind is for something to do. Mine too. I know, you know, obviously like it's, we all know what that feels like. And, and it feels more helpful in the big picture 
to not give it that a lot of times, especially when it's feeling really needy and desperate and like, this is what has to happen and I need to practice and how and when and when is it going to work for me? The last thing I'm going to do at that point that just makes sense to me to do at that point is give someone a practice, usually, usually, not always. Because again, it just feels like it's selling them short. And I know that that annoys people and I know that's hard and painful sometimes. And I and I know that it's probably driven people away from this conversation. I know it has because they're like, there's nothing for me to do. There's nothing, nothing tangible for me to hold on to. And I get that. But I guess in the big picture, it just looks to me like, okay, I'm okay with you being annoyed or feeling frustrated or even moving away from this if that's what happens. It, it seems like it serves people better to keep zooming out most of the time. And, and, and then later when there's a bigger sense of things, practices can come in and supplement and help and all of that. So anyway, I, contrary to popular belief, I think myself and maybe three principles people, whoever that is, and you know, there, there's no stigma against doing things. There's no stigma against practices. There's just a, a deep wanting for people to see first. And, and as we see, there is absolutely no need for practices and they can be helpful along the way. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a few things, um, and I'm only sharing things that I have some personal experience with, although these are not things, I don't, I don't have a set of like daily practices. I never really have. Um, and so these aren't, you know, these aren't things that I, I don't want you to think that I'm carrying this list around and doing these things all day or that they or that they do anything or that they have ever done anything. Truly, truly. Like anything, this is just a buffet, right? You don't have to go eat every single thing that's there. You just kind of listen, see what resonates with you, play around. And if something feels good and helpful, you can do it once in a while if you like to. And if you don't, and if none of these do feel that way, that's absolutely no big deal. It means absolutely nothing. So the first one I want to talk about, and, it, and it's kind of weird to even talk about this as a practice in a sense, because I think it started off a little bit more structured. And I think that's probably true of a lot of these where they start off with a little structure to them, but before long, they just sort of start happening spontaneously. So what we talk about often, this this will probably be no surprise really, um, what we talk about in the little school of big change and what I talk about in my books and here on the podcast is how all suffering is, is showing us that we're identified with thought. There's no other option. There is no suffering that happens when we aren't identified with thought. It doesn't work that way. If we're suffering, if suffering happens, and it happens, and it's great that it happens, it happens to wake us up to the fact that that there's a line of thinking that looks very true and real and personal, that we're we're really caught up in this mental timeline of things, this time and space and me-centeredness of things that is just a mind talking. That is not the totality of life whatsoever. It is, there, there is much more to see. 
And so it's like if we are this pure expansiveness and then we get really restricted down and start identifying with some little train of thought or some image or story about what's going to happen, by definition, that's going to and should feel very tight and uncomfortable. It should feel like suffering. So suffering's amazing. It's awesome. It's a beautiful thing that happens and it wakes us up to to where our consciousness is, to where our identity is in that moment. So the first thing, again, it's kind of hard to even call this a practice in a sense. It's really just something we kind of come to see. But but there is something around it that's a little practice-like is, is seeing when you're in discomfort, noticing suffering, and and seeing that that, remembering, knowing that that is showing us this illusion of separation. Suffering is pointing to this illusion of separation. It's pointing to, oh, there's a me who feels separate from the whole and something shouldn't have happened or whatever it might be, right? At the root of all suffering is this belief in separation. So seeing that. And how do you do it? I don't know. Let's, let's keep these really simple. Let's not overcomplicate these with like, well, how do I do that practice? You know, you know when you're suffering, if it occurs to you, that, okay, oh, this suffering is showing me that I'm identified with thought, that I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm a me and I'm separate. And that's what the suffering is showing me, done. That's it. So seeing that, and in that seeing comes the flip side. And it's important, I think, that, that the flip side is seen. It's not like, oh, I'm, separ- I'm in separation. I'm a big idiot. I can't believe I'm here. no. Like, oh, it's an illusion. This is the showing me the illusion of separation. The other side of the illusion of separation is that there is no separation. So seeing whatever you would call that, oneness, wholeness, truth. Now, just this morning, uh, there was someone on our forum saying, I don't see oneness. I don't know what oneness is. I've never had that experience of oneness again. There is, no, there is no way oneness looks or feels. That's just a trick of the mind to get us really confused and try to tell us to give up and just go back to listening to it all the time. So even in these words, please don't hold them too tightly. It's like suffering shows, oh, I'm in the dream. I'm in the illusion. I'm in, I'm in my psychology, however you want to say it. And that's right. That's not the truth of things. That's not real. The truth is there is no separation. You can see how it's hard to really call this a practice because again, it's like, what do you do? Uh, you see, you notice, like, and, and it all just becomes something that starts to happen. But if it feels helpful to, to pull this out as a thing you can kind of have on your radar and, and play with in a day, do it, do it. That's awesome if it feels helpful. Pretty soon, it just starts to happen really naturally. So in in April, our guest speaker in the Little School of Big Change was Gary Renard, who talks about, writes about uh, A Course in Miracles. And his practice, in a sense, or I guess it's a practice of A Course in Miracles, is is essentially this. It's different words. You know, he uses very different words or of course in miracles uses very different words, but essentially the same thing. So it's, it, it, the suffering wakes us up to something that in their language needs to be forgiven. 
and forgiveness. Again, I think it's a little unnecessarily complicated, but forgiveness is just seeing, okay, this is just a projection of the mind. This is the this is that belief in separation manifest. It's a belief in separation that's playing out that feels like suffering, that that's pointing to a guilty me that's separate from the rest of the world. And we forgive that. Now we aren't forgiving ourselves. We aren't forgiving someone else that all of that is part of the illusion. We're just, again, I, I don't love this word forgiveness here, but we we forgive the fact that our mind just created this illusion in a sense. So same thing. We just see, okay, suffering is arising. Oh, there's my mind again. There's psychology. There's this sense of a separate me that is not actually true. That's what this feeling is showing me. And oh yeah, oneness is the truth. And that does not have to feel any certain way. So in in A Course in Miracles and Gary Renard's uh, practice, I mean, again, it's it's basically the same thing. We forgive the projection or forgive the illusion. And then we remember what he would call the Holy Spirit or I don't know, same thing, different words. But you start to see this one, two thing of suffering waking us up. Maybe it's three. Suffering waking us up. It becoming obvious to us or us remembering what the suffering is showing us. And then a natural remembering of of the bigger picture. And, and again, if it's helpful to break it down like that and think of it as steps, do it. But before long, it's something that just starts to naturally arise in full, in full. So there's not just a sitting in the suffering. The suffering triggers the remembering. The remembering ends the suffering. And it's all this one big, beautiful ball of practice. So that's that's one thing I wanted to share. Um, another one and again, as I say these, as these, they're so hard to even talk about as a practice, really. Um, but this is something I've heard Dick and Benninger talk about. I mean, he talked with me about this, and I don't know, whenever I used to talk to him occasionally in like 2011 or something, falling out of your thinking. It drove me crazy because I'm like, what? And I was so, I mean... I don't know really, but I, it feels like I was so far. It felt at that time like I was so far from falling out of my thinking. I'll, I'll, the best I could do is just think something nicer. I had no clue. I was thinking so hard about what it meant to fall out of your thinking that it would just drive me crazy. But he's used that phrase forever. I've heard it for years and years. And there's something really simple about it. And we can overthink it, but there is something very simple about it. So what this looks like to me now, I like the phrase now because, because there's something a little more real to it. The feeling of falling out of thinking is like, I know that feeling. And I, I don't know, I guess back then I didn't, or I was trying too hard to make it something that it wasn't. But to me now, this is like, another way to say it maybe is like, can you find that space before thought? Like, if you can, if you can play with it, just be here and don't let a thought form. Before a thought forms, before a, a sentence or an image shows up that we attach concepts to and all of that, 
there's just a quiet. It's just a space. It's what I've talked about here. That purring cat is there. It's just, it's just the just the wholeness of everything. It's just pure awareness, pure beingness before a thought forms. Can you feel that? And then try to hang out there. Now you will fail miserably. You can't, for most of us, especially in the beginning, especially in the beginning, you'll fail miserably because your mind will just jump right back in. Is this it? Am I there? Oh man, I didn't stay there long enough. You know, all of that will happen fine. Not a problem. But but with a little practice, if you want to practice something like this, you'll stay there more and more. I had, and, and I'm sure you have all had this too, I had, I've had some really amazing, it's just an experience, I suppose, but really, really like remarkable experiences of just feeling like this is before thought. You know, there's, there's no conversation here. It's just this pure beingness. And, and it's kind of weird. I mean, sometimes like I had one that was really remarkable when I was in the shower. And, and so now when I go in my shower, it's, it's almost like reminds me and it gets a little easier to go back there. So I think that's typical, not the shower thing, but just if you've had these, you know, there, it tends to get easier and I don't like my language here, but you know, don't take this too literally. It just tends to feel a little easier to find your way back into that space to, to fall out of your thinking. And that's what I always heard from Dickon that just drove me crazy because I could tell for him, it was super easy. It was a thing he did. He was like, he would describe it that way. He's like, oh, I mean, I, I'll never forget this conversation we had years ago. I hope he's okay with me sharing this. His dog got hit by a car. His dog was okay. They took it to the hospital, but his dog was hit by a car. A woman on his street hit his dog. He saw it happen or something from the window. I don't know. And he ran out and he was rushing them to the vet and all of this. And, you know, everyone, of course, the woman was freaking out. Everyone was very frantic. And and he just let himself fall out of all that thinking. And he was in this pure peace in the middle of rushing the dog to the vet and everything. It, it's it's something that can be seen and done, you know, in, in a sense. And so, and in my experience, it is for sure easier. It gets so much easier. The more we sort of feel that, it's almost like you can just click into it. It's like once you learn how to how to just relax your eyes and see the hidden pictures fall, you know, pop out of the picture or whatever it is. Once you kind of have that muscle memory for it, you can just do it all the time. And and I think this is like that as well. And again, I really recommend if you want to play with this, hang out there see, like, don't make it a competition, but hang out there. I mean, touch that space and see if you can be there more and more. And it just becomes more and more natural, more and more default. So another one that I want to mention that I think has been super helpful for a lot of people and not one of my favorites, um, but I think I know it has for others is, is kind of asking this question, like, when there's discomfort or suffering or just any time when there's opinion and judgment, anything's arising, to ask that question, on whose behalf is this showing up? Because, 
and I get why it would be so helpful, you know, like inherent in judgment and resistance and suffering and all of that is a me that it's happening to. If there's no me that it's happening to, it isn't suffering. It may be pain, it may be, it may be emotion, but it isn't suffering if there isn't a story of me that it's wrapped around. So, so to ask the question or to be curious, like you're suffering, you're struggling, you feel horrible and to kind of, or, or you're fighting with someone in your head, you know, someone wronged you or something shouldn't happen the way that it's happening to say on whose behalf is all of this disappointment or pain or frustration, like, or on, like, on whose behalf is all of this righteousness? Like, who is this for? And then you start to look. This is like a Gary Crowley question. He was our guest speaker in January in school. Um, just, just has a scan for like, where is this me? Where is the me that need, that, that's upset about this? Where is this me that's been wrong or this self that's been wronged by this person or this situation? And, you know, not to have a big spoiler alert, but you look and there's really nothing <laughs> to be found, so you won't find it. And so I know it's been really helpful for a lot of people. I've played with it. I mean, every once in a while that question might spontaneously arise, but um, it isn't one that I personally love, but I wanted to share it because I know it is for a lot of people. For me, I love more of like, I don't know, the question more like, am I aware? If I'm really in my head or really caught up in a grievance or an argument with someone or something, to just ask that, who's aware or am I aware of this? Where's the awareness of this? It feels like it just sort of, like now now on the screen, more like the screen and not the movie, you know, like there's a... There's not a me. It, it pulls me out of a sense of being a me in the center of that. So, I, and again, that just happens really naturally um, for me. But I think the more you play with these things, they do. They start to happen naturally. In no way are these practices that you should have to be like spending time and energy on or like doing your whole life at all. But if they resonate, they can be, they can be really helpful pointers to help you see this more deeply so that this all just starts to unfold really spontaneously. So another one is uh, more around emotion and feeling. And I've talked about this here and on webinars and things quite a bit, um, which is kind of what I often call like zooming in, but there's a little more to it sometimes. So say you're feeling some emotion, you're feeling guilt or shame, or something that, or, and probably with that, a lot of resistance around it, or anger, whatever it might be, and you feel it in a more emotional way than a more thought way. I think it's really amazing to welcome that feeling in. And I know that might sound painful, and like that's not something that you want to do, but to, to, to notice the sensation and the energy, which is all, all it is. There's sensation, energy, and then there's a story. But to notice the sensation and energy and to just swim in it, that's the way it feels to me. It's like, I'm just going to swim in this for a minute. 
welcome it in. Just explore it. Like, come on in, shame. Let me feel you. How, how deep are you? What do you feel like? Where are the edges? Can I find any edges to this shame? Can I settle into this feeling? A question I love is, is it okay if this feeling never goes away? Now, again, <laughs> if you're just listening to this, that might sound horrible, but there's something about that that's been so magical for me. I love that question. Like, can I just be in this forever? Always, always. The answer is something like yes. <laughs> it might not be yes, but it, but it, what starts to happen, I think, is it's like that melts the resistance. There's no resistance. Like, what if this is just how I feel forever? Okay, well, now there's no pushing. There's no trying to figure it out. There's no resistance. It doesn't need to change. It, it like just allows you to just really swim in it and to just fully be in the energy of it. And again, the more we're swimming in this and welcoming it and opening to it, the more it becomes just energy. I mean, it's always just energy, but the more it feels like just energy, the stories fall away, the, the resistance falls away. And what felt like this horribly uncomfortable feeling, just it does not anymore. So I, I love that around emotion. I mean, it's similar. That, and there's other methods and practices like this, like the Sedona method, I think, has a question. Can I welcome this? Um, I, I just love those questions because right away, it just cuts out the resistance and, and it quiets the mind, I think. There's nothing fighting. So even the labels of this is anger or shame and the stories attached to it, they just, they just seem to kind of melt away. So I've talked about this recently um, in terms of like leaning in to emotion or zooming in rather than, rather as opposed to zooming out, which I also talk about a lot. Okay. So another one very similar to that, but more around thought is doing the same thing, but with thought. So I talked about this on a, uh, an episode um, in October, I believe it was. I can't remember what that episode was called, but I know it was in October because I was doing it with a pumpkin in my head. And it's really just zooming way in and being like just insanely dumbly curious. I don't think dumbly is a word, but dumbly curious about what this thought thing even is. What is a thought? Say your mind is just spinning on stories and what he said, what's going to happen and all of this stuff. And to, to lean into that to the point where you see, wait a minute, all this stuff I'm thinking, what does that even mean? What is this thought made of? What does it look like? Can I see something in my head as my mind is telling me this? And you probably will. You'll see some images get close to those images. They disappear. It's really cool. You won't, they don't, they aren't as you would expect them to be whatsoever. So what images are there? What little fragments probably of these grainy little images of there? What memories are showing up? What sounds do you hear? Do you hear pieces of a conversation? Are there smells? Is there other sensory information? When we really look at what the heck a thought even is and we zoom into this level, it's completely wacky. It's like 
Seriously, like I, we, you can't nail it down. And I can tell you that, but doing it and experimenting with it and playing with it, I think there's no match for that. It's really cool. It, it just starts to shine a whole new light on what runs us, what we feel like runs us all the time is thoughts and stories. And, and they feel so true and they feel so relevant and so about me and my life. And they are in a super generalized, super conceptualized way. But when you go beneath the generalized view of a thought and you really see what even is this thing and how is it represented in my experience? What's my actual experience of what a thought is? It will blow your mind. It really will. So I think that's a that's one I play with a lot, I think is really cool. Okay, so the last one, somewhat related to that, they're all somewhat related, I suppose, is, again, it's kind of around being really dumb. And and there's there's something to play with when it comes to being in, like, like, perceptual, seeing things, smelling things, hearing things, whatever sense, sensory information, however you, whichever one you want to choose to do this with. But kind of letting the sensory information just completely consume you without adding a bunch of concepts and stories to it. Now, I know that the concepts and stories are added automatically. So it's not that you are sitting down doing that. But experimenting with what it's like to just fully sense without a lot of labels and words and stories. So I find this much easier to do with sound than with sight for some reason, with with vision and seeing. But So you can play and see what you see. But with sound, what it might look like is, is you just you just get quiet for a minute and you just listen and you open open your open your ears as we tell the kids open open your aperture to take in every sound now when you hear it it's not like oh there's the bird there's the vacuum like right now my husband's cleaning a floor which i should not complain about but i can hear it i'm hope it's not in the background of this podcast but you open your auditory channel and you take in all of it without the judgment, without the why is he doing it now, without the labels. You just are in the hearing of it. And I know that sounds kind of weird, so don't think about it. Just play with it and do it. You're just, and, and here's what happens. It's not that you're in the hearing of it. What starts to happen is that it's all... It's all everything and it, and there's so much sound happening and it gets a little jumbled together and it starts to become, for me anyway, and I think this is probably universal, like proximity and distance and pitch and volume and all of that, which are all just concepts, all of that starts to go away. It's almost like, and you go away too. So you are you become the sound you become what's being heard i think this is a really fascinating way again it's almost like another way in to feel that space beyond thought to feel like like the first few that i said here it's all about being in that 
being in that space that's not mind identified, where maybe a thought shows up, maybe it doesn't, but it's not at all grabbed onto because there's this expansiveness, there's this sense of being awareness or just being pure beingness. So, so doing this with sound, and I've heard of people doing it with vision, I'll talk about that in a sec, but for me, I think it's much easier to do it with sound. It's like you notice how every little distinct sound, which sounds over there or back here or too loud or too quiet, all of that starts to go away. And, and, and it becomes kind of apparent that it's all just this, that there is no me hearing it. You're one and the same with all of it. And it's all one and the same with each other. And it's really just one thing. And again, my words can't really describe it, but play with it and see. And in that space, you know, we are in in that, it feels very expansive and very connected. So related to vision and seeing, um, one thing I've found a little easier, I don't know, I just, for some reason, I think it's a little tougher for me, it has been to, to visually kind of do this, but kind of along the lines of the book, uh, Refuting the External World. I don't, know if, I don't know if I've talked about that here. There's a really short, really cool book I read a while ago called Refuting the External World, which basically says that everything we see is not, is not at all what we see. All we ever really see, all that the world, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, shouldn't say that it says this, but this is my rendition of it in this moment. Everything is just light. And it looks like there's a red apple and a black microphone and a white phone and all of that kind of stuff. But color and texture and boundaries, boundaries, 100%, all of that is just light. It's just a play of light. And it, and as we know, I think, our brain makes it into an object. Our brain sees that light and turns it into what looks like a boundary and a this and a that and gives it qualities and gives it colors, which colors are just are just variations of light also, obviously. So so it this book is really cool. I I recommend it. But but there's something a little bit practice like in that. I don't know if he specifically laid it out or if I just sort of gleaned it from from what I was reading there. Around looking at objects. And again, sometimes sometimes rather than widening the aperture and taking in all the visual stuff and letting it all become one, it's sort of the opposite. Find something to focus on and focus and just stare at it so intently. And when you do that for a while, again, initially your mind's running and you're like, why am I doing this? And it's a cup I'm looking at. It has a name and all these qualities and it's white and all of that stuff. Pretty soon when you just stare and you know this just visually, like things get a little fuzzier. You don't know what it is you're looking at if your mind's not telling you. The boundaries, the boundaries between that thing, that make it a thing. The boundaries are what make it a thing. They disappear. They go away. Everything kind of blends into one. So it's sort of, for me, has been the easier way to sort of just play with this visually. And again, I don't want to give, I know this is a 35-minute episode already, and I don't want to give the impression that I sit around doing this stuff all the time or that this is why I've found any freedom in life or anything like that. These are just things that feel really interesting and appeal to me. And, and I, and I, sometimes they spontaneously arise to do them, you know, it's just, 
in order to, I guess at some point, in order to kind of help ease into that space beyond thought. So they are not necessities. They are not things you must do and they do not have to become daily practices by any stretch, but they can serve as a way to kind of feel feel this this bigger beingness beyond thought. So again, I know I've said that, but when I get into the details of it, I, I worry that it can feel like I'm sitting down spending hours on this stuff and I'm not, and I don't recommend that you do. But play with it, play with it and see. Being in that space, looking at something visually and watching the boundaries fade away and the separation fade away, I don't know what that does, but I, I, I think it just, can it's this experiential, real experience of, oh yeah, boundaries are made up. They, they literally don't exist and we can even see that they don't exist. This isn't just for super enlightened people or people who have had strokes. I mean, you can stare at an object long enough and the boundaries will disappear. What that means when we back up and start going through the world in our heads again is we'll see boundaries. You'll see them everywhere. You'll be sure there's a you and there's a them and everything's separate. But I think it just lands more and more deeply that that's just what a brain does. It's how a brain takes in light and turns it into solid looking objects. There's no truth in that. It's just the only thing true about that is it's what a brain appears to do. It's not, it's not, you know, the way life is by any stretch. Just like our suffering, the stories going through our mind when, our, when we're feeling suffering are not how life is by any stretch, not even close. They are just how, how a mind spits out information and the stories it tells. And because we don't examine that, because we've just taken it at face value. It's not our fault. I mean, everyone does. But until we examine that and get curious about it and start to see beyond the appearance of it, it's just going to be taken as truth. And it isn't. Same with emotions, same with suffering, same with thoughts and memories and all of this stuff that feels so solid that it doesn't take much. That's what's so cool. It does not take much. We can talk about it and and I love talking about it and exploring it that way. And you can play with it with some of these practices if you want to and, and see it break down even further. So I hope this has been helpful. And uh, again, you just take these five or six, whatever I shared things and just if any of them resonate, play around. And if not, no big deal. But what you might find, again, if you if you find a couple that just really speak to you and you play with this a little bit, is this starts to happen all by itself. So even, even when they start as a practice, they don't stay a practice, an effortful practice for long often. Uh, and that's really cool. That's really fun when that happens. So let me know if you play with these, if you like some, dislike others, if you have others to add to the list, I'd love to hear them. If you benefit from this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a quick review of it on iTunes. Listener reviews go a really long way in attracting brand new listeners to this new paradigm. And they show me that you're listening and that you're benefiting from what you hear, which frankly goes a really long way in encouraging me to keep recording. Thank you so much to those of you who have reviewed it already. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for considering it if you haven't yet.